Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to watchnebula.com slash not overthinking with a little hyphen thing in between the not and the overthinking. So watchnebula.com slash not dash overthinking. Through Nebula, you'll firstly get access to all of our podcast episodes ad-free. Secondly, you'll see exclusive content from me and a load of other educational-ish creators. And thirdly, it directly supports this podcast. So you'll incentivize me and Tame to record more episodes. My name is Ali. I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor. I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Taymor, how are you doing today? I'm doing, I'm doing all right. I'm not doing too bad. I'm kind of tired. I have done about four hours of walking around today. Four hours? Four hours. How'd you manage that? I was on a date, and we walked around a park for a bunch of hours. You were on a date? Yeah, but I won't go into it. Maybe in the abstract in a few months' time. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Uh, you know, I like to protect people's privacy. I think the other person would probably feel weird. Don't you think? Mm, yeah, fair. I feel like if it, were, if it were discussed in the abstract, maybe. Yeah, in a few months' time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's entirely reasonable. So, see, yeah, see, I, mean, I don't think it's that interesting anyway. So. Okay, cool. See, so, so you've had a, a four-hour walk week. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for that one. That's very good. <laughs> okay. Um, what, is, is that the reason why you're tired? I think I've also just, like, had very bad sleep all week. I don't think I've had, like, a full night night's sleep all, uh, yeah, any day this week. Okay. I think when I was in the Dominican Republic, the sleep was great. I was falling to, falling asleep within, like, ten minutes of getting in bed. But these days, I start feeling tired around like 10, 11 p.m. And like yesterday, I got into bed at like half 10. And I'm pretty sure I didn't fall asleep until after midnight. So something is, something is going wrong. And I really am not sure what it is. Hmm. Have you tried to figure, figure this out? <laughs> yeah. So I've tried, uh, I've tried adjusting the climate. So I've tried, you know, so in, in the Dominican Republic, there was like an AC in my room. And so it was like kind of chilly. So I've tried like leaving the window open in my, in my bedroom to like make it kind of cold. That doesn't seem to have affected it. I tried like going off caffeine i didn't like have any ca- any caffeine for a couple of days that didn't seem to affect it um i mean i don't have my phone in bed anyway i have always read my kindle in bed but that's usually been a pretty good way to fall asleep it's never like actively kept me up um yeah so i i can't really identify what else it could possibly be have you come across this two minute strategy that pilots use to fall asleep yeah i tried that mate <laughs> how many times did you try it i tried it yesterday it didn't work what just the once uh yeah because like the idea behind this two minute strategy, at least the version that I read is that you try it out and then if you actually give it your all and it doesn't work, then you wait a few minutes and then you try it again. And if by that point you're still not asleep, then you just get up and then walk around and then go back into bed. And you rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Yeah. Like I, I basically any time I try it, I try the strategy, it, it just ends up working. Really? <laughs> and I just end up falling asleep. Do you have to end up walking around? Um once or twice I, I i end up walking around and then it's usually because i'm thinking about something related to the youtube channel or whatever yeah, yeah. and then i kind of get my thoughts out on the ipad I have, I have my ipad right next to my bed okay so i so i can do that um what what is the strategy that you've been trying for the listeners who haven't come across it so like you lie down like completely sort of like a dead body almost and then you sort of work your way up from your feet and sort of consciously relax each part of your body so you like start off with the toes and you're like You'll sort of feel your toes and consciously like put them to sleep. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, it's like in, in like, uh, do you remember the cartoon Bear in the Big Blue House? Yes. <laughs> so at the end of the, at the end of the episodes, uh, the, the narrator, which is the moon uh, in the TV show, the narrator would sort of uh, say goodbye to everyone. Uh, he'd sort of say, you know, 
goodbye, Mousy. Goodbye. Goodbye. And then goodbye, whatever other like animated characters there were. He'd do a one by one say goodbye to each of them. And so I imagine myself doing the same with my body parts. So starting with the toes and then. Yeah, goodbye, Mousy. And. Uh, yeah, just sort of work your way up and uh, you should hope, ideally be asleep by the end of it. Okay, so that's a, a variation on the pilot thing that I've, I've read oh. about. The one, the version of the pilot thing that I use is that the idea is that if you want to fall asleep, you can guarantee you that you're going to fall asleep in two minutes. You start off by relaxing all of the muscles of your face and just closing your eyes okay. and keeping everything as relaxed as possible. And the theory behind this is that if, you're, if your mind is racing or if you're having thoughts, your eyes are just going to be moving anyway, oh, okay, which is apparently right. what happens even when, you're, when your eyes are closed. Yeah. So you just consciously try and sort of yeah. open your mouth like really wide and like close your eyes. It's very hard to talk about. Oh, no. It's a good thing it's on a podcast. But you relax basically all the muscles in your face initially. By this point, you're sort of on your pillow. Your mouth is hanging out. You've got <laughs> yeah. a bit of drool coming out. <laughs> And then you relax your legs very, very consciously. Okay. And you like, like allow allow your thighs to sink into the into the bed. Yeah. And w- and what I have in my head as I'm doing this is uh, it's a hypnosis thing. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I imagine someone like Darren Brown saying, "Ride the way down, ride the way deep, yeah. <laughs> ride the way sound asleep." <laughs> and I, 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 I tell this to my thighs, and they sink into the thing. And then the last one is your arms, okay. and then you and then you, it's just a case of sort of consciously relaxing all your fingers and your elbows and your shoulder and all that stuff okay straight into the bed but then crucially the next step is that now you're going to do like a meditation technique where the objective is to kind of empty your mind and just focus focus on one thing in particular and so normally i kind of do the breathing into my into my abdomen so my belly comes out a bit and then back again and then often i i'll I'll find my mind kind of going to some things and then i'll notice that i've been thinking about something go back to the conscious awareness of the breathing yeah and then i wake up Uh (laughs) and i'm like oh damn that thing worked wait really yeah it's actually sick bloody hell and all right i i can count on one hand the number of times where it hasn't worked in one sitting this year um and anytime it doesn't, it's usually because I actually haven't done the I haven't done it properly, and I've actually just been thinking about various bits. So maybe something to try next time. All right, I'll try that tonight. Great. Um, I'll report back. How's your week been? It's been great. Uh, before I tell you about that, I just want to tell you that this episode is brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare, if you guys haven't heard by now, is the world's leading platform for uh, online classes on all sorts of topics, from uh, business to graphic design to illustration to cooking to They've got some coding stuff. They've got some musical theory classes. And did you know, if, you, if you're a new listener to the podcast, you might not know, but I actually have like seven different classes on Skillshare. So I've got like 20 plus hours worth of content on Skillshare. So if you go to skillshare.com forward slash not overthinking pod, that's not overthinking POD or one word, or you click the link in the show notes, you will get a free trial to Skillshare. And during your free trial, you can sample all, well, you can basically watch 20 plus hours of my content themed around productivity, around how to study for exams, around how to use flashcards, even got a class about stoicism and next week in a few days time like on tuesday i'm releasing a class about how to cook where one of my friends spent a whole day basically teaching me how to cook productively wow. <laughs> um, because i started productively. cooking <laughs> productively cook yeah so things like meal prep and like efficiently chopping stuff so oh, okay. that you don't have to actually chop it and that was quite fun we actually hired hired like a film crew to film us for the whole day where she was teaching me how to cook oh so um has it worked like are you cooking now uh, I'm cooking a little bit. I'm using some of the techniques, but I want to <laughs> kind of make a more concerted effort to use more of the techniques. Anyway, head over to skillshare.com forward slash not overthinking pod to get your free trial. So thank you, Skillshare, for sponsoring this episode. All right. Well, you were about to tell us about your week. Yes. What have I done this week? So I came to the end of a three-month coaching program with my business coach. 
Okay. Which ended up more being just like a sort of having, like he, he, he and I are friends, but like the business coaching relationship sort of formalizes it a little bit. Yeah. And that yeah. we can basically spend the whole one hour talking about me and it's not weird. Okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty ideal. And what we've been doing for the last 12 weeks is that we've been sort of basically just, just doing like a weekly review where he'll be like, all right, just uh, talk me through your week and what are the things you've learned this week? Um, and this week I had like an interesting, an interesting sort of experience which I wanted to talk to you about, mm. which is that I think it was on Wednesday, I posted a YouTube poll. Uh, and I think we talked last week on, on the podcast about how I've got this book that I'm trying to write and I want it to be really good and stuff. Yeah. So I posted a YouTube community post poll, just, you know, just casually saying, hey guys, hypothetically, if I were to write a productivity book, would you buy it? Yeah. And I had five different options. Number one was, yes, I'd pre-order it immediately as soon as it's announced. Number two was, I'd buy it once it once it's out. Number three was, oh, it, it depends on the reviews. Yeah. Number four was, unlikely to be honest. And okay. number five was, never. Okay. And there was a perfect bell curve. So 11% of people said they'd pre-order it immediately. 19% or so said that they would uh, buy it when it's out. 40% said maybe depends on the reviews. Maybe and another 20% said unlikely and 10% said never. Okay. So this was like a perfect bell curve distribution. And there were about 57,000 people that replied to this poll. But like at first glance, I was very disappointed by the results of this because in my head I was thinking, damn, productivity, basically all my videos are about productivity. So if I write a book about productivity, like yeah. everyone's going to buy it. <laughs> and then I saw this bell curve and I was like, oh, damn. And I had this sort of... Uh, type one thinking feeling of disappointment of like, oh, oh my right. God, maybe maybe I shouldn't be writing a book about productivity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe people don't actually like me. Maybe, <laughs> maybe my kind of online career is going to be torpedoed. Really? Uh, you felt you thought that? Yeah, it was it was it was very much kind of the gut reaction to seeing wow. those numbers. What were like what were you expecting? Were you expecting like 50% definitely buy it or something? I don't really know what I was I, I, I don't really have an expectation. Uh, yeah, I guess I was expecting basically 100% of people to be like, yeah, I'd buy your book. Bloody hell, mate. Uh, <laughs> Steady I, on. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just, I just didn't really think about it. Yeah, I, I would also expect that to be higher, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, that is a bit surprising. Um, and then a lot of the comments were like the, the most upvoted comment, which had like 2,000 likes. Are they com comments on a poll? Yeah. Oh, okay. So people can comment on it as well. The most upvoted comment was, bro, there was no option for, I'm going to find the free PDF or EPUB. <laughs> <laughs> I got 2,000. I was, I was like, okay, fair play. <laughs> Can't argue with that. Yeah. <laughs> that was me back in the day. Yeah. Um, there were a few comments about, well, you know, I'll, I'll definitely buy it if, if it's you narrating the audiobook at 3x speed. Uh, <laughs> nice. Banter. There were, there were a few comments about, well, uh, it's, why would you write a book about productivity? It seems like you've, you've talked about it at length already. I can just watch your videos. Why would I buy your book? Mm. There were a few being like, I would buy it, but I'm broke. I was okay. like, okay. And, and there were a few that were like, bro, you know, there, there are already lots of books about productivity. The world doesn't need another productivity book, so don't do it. Um, and overall, sort of my initial reaction to this was like a little bit disappointed. Okay. And then when I thought about it a bit more, I was like, okay, actually, if 11% of my audience were actually to pre-order the book, it would become an instant New York Times bestseller. Because if you have like 100,000 pre-orders, then you're just, okay. you, yeah. then you're in the top 10 on, on New York Times. If you have 10,000 pre-orders, you're on Sunday Times in the UK. Okay. So already those are very hefty numbers. And then I showed the poll to my editor and he was like, yeah, man, if this, <laughs> if this actually reflects reality, this book is an instant hit already. Okay, right. Um, and so thinking about the numbers a bit more, I was like, okay, that was sort of the, sort of the, the system two thinking coming in. Are you, are you familiar with the difference between the two? Yeah. So uh, for, for our listeners, system one thinking is sort of like your gut, re your gut reaction. And system two is sort of when you take a step back and you think, huh, okay. Um, but 
there was that period of about 20 minutes or so where I was just sort of genuinely feeling actually disappointed about this before I worked worked through the numbers. And then were you disappointed that you were feeling disappointed? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, okay. No, no, no. I'm not quite that self-flagellating. There was no <laughs> better disappointment about not being a stoic as he would have liked. <laughs> uh, I think what helped is that I came across a tweet ah, by a yeah. chap called Michael Ashcroft. And he was quoting a philosopher called Alan Watts. I don't know if you've come okay. across Alan. Yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with Alan Watts. Um, and this was a, a framing of life that I hadn't come across before. And basically what the tweet said was that there, like, life is kind of like a game and there are two modes of playing this game. You can play the game seriously or you can play the game sincerely. Now, someone who plays the game seriously is someone who forgets that it's a game and plays it very, very seriously. And we all know what it's like to play articulate with people who take the game too seriously um, when they forget that it's a game and it just kind of becomes no fun and it feels, you know, a little bit, yeah, just not nice. Yeah. Whereas it's much nicer playing with someone who plays a game sincerely, i.e. they're giving it their all and they're actually playing properly, but they still recognize that it's a game. Yeah. And there were these two different framings of approaching approaching life and approaching basically anything that we do. Yeah. And I realized that with this whole book stuff, I'd fallen into taking it too seriously. Mm. And as soon as I saw that tweet and I realized, oh, hang on, the source of my disappointment is the fact that I'm actually, t- I, I, I'm taking this seriously. The, the, as soon as I realized that, just the, the the disappointment melted away completely. Okay, and it was more a case of, oh, I mean, it's just a game, and I'm going to play it sincerely, and I'd love to hit a bestseller list, and I'd, I'd love yeah. for the book to be good, but ultimately, it is a game, and it's a game I'm going to play sincerely, but one that I'm not going to let affect my inner tranquility. So that tweet was really helpful before the system two thinking kicked in of actually, if this poll is legit, then yeah, and the whole stuff. Well, actually, a lot of people don't read books, a lot of people don't buy books, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like I like the distinction between sincerity and, and seriousness. So like, let's let's un, let's dig into like what you were actually disappointed about. Mm. So in the last episode, was the last one where we were talking about like goals and stuff. You said one of your goals is that you wanted to be a bestseller, mm. and then another one of your goals is that you wanted to actually be a, like a good book as well. Now, what were you? Uh, for example, it's it seems like in this case, the results of the poll don't affect whether it's going to be a bestseller. Like it seems like it'll pretty be easily be a bestseller. Like, you know, I think, according to the poll. I think it being a bestseller would be a stretch goal. Like, it's not a, it's not a certainty. I thought you just said, like, if 10% of your... Oh, as a, yeah, if. But, like, 57,000 people responded to the poll of the 1.2 million. The ones who responded to the poll are likely to be the most engaged audience anyway. Okay, YouTube is maybe not entirely representative of the whole audience. Uh, of the people who reply to polls on YouTube... It's a, yeah, yeah. A hundred right. different assumptions that... Okay. Like, if the poll is representative of the 1.2 million subscribers... Yeah. Then it would be, then it would be awesome. Okay, so you would. Okay, so what were you actually disappointed about? I think what I was disappointed about was that I hadn't really thought about what I expected the numbers to be, and so my gut feeling about what they should have been was that there would be overwhelming demand for this book, and there was only sort of ten percent was overwhelming demand, twenty percent was like yeah I'd buy it when it's out, forty percent was like on the fence, and thirty percent was like I'm I'm really I'm not going to buy the book, so that that bell curve did not align with my sort of gut expectation of my gut hope of my, I, I guess it was more an expectation than I hope that, oh yeah, you know, I'm writing about my product. You know, loads of people will surely want to buy it. So when you like, what was kind of going through your head? Like, what was it like, for example, if in the moment, mm. let's say you, you did like crunch some numbers beforehand and you knew, and, and let's say that the poll is representative or, or, you know, maybe the poll might not be representative, but there are other forces outside of the poll whereby you can promote your book that wouldn't be captured in the poll. So it's not like you could, you only need, it's not like your YouTube audience are the only people who could possibly buy the book. Like, you know, maybe the poll is over, you know, a, a bit optimistic, but there are other, other routes to promoting your book, right? So like, let's say you, you'd crunch some numbers and you knew that, you know, if 10% of the 
if 10% of my YouTube audience, uh, you know, say that they'll definitely buy the book, then that puts me in like very good standing to be a bestseller. Let's say you knew that beforehand. Yes. And then you saw the results and you're like, mm, 10% say they'll buy it. Like, do you think you would have still been disappointed? No, I don't think so. I think if I'd gone through the expectation setting, I'd be like, what does good look like here? Okay. Um, I kind of just did it on a whim and didn't really think about the numbers in, in the slightest. And and I think that was where the disappointment was, where I just had a generally vague that, oh, I bet everyone will want to want to buy my book. Um, in sort of, at the moment... Wait, so no, so you're, you're yeah. talking about two different things here. Like, do you think you were, and maybe the answer is both, but do you think you were disappointed because then your sort of your your dream of it being a bestseller looked more difficult? Or do you think you were disappointed because there wasn't a sense of like, oh, of course all my audience are going to buy my book? I think it was the latter. Okay. Yeah. So so okay, so you would have still been disappointed if you'd crunched the numbers beforehand. You knew ten percent would get you a bestseller, but ten percent still doesn't feel like, oh, all my audience are gonna be all over this. No, I think if I'd crunched the numbers beforehand, I would have known that ten percent was what I was shooting for. But you <laughs> Okay, you I, I I think if I'd just taken the time to think like, okay, what do I actually expect the results of this poll to be? And, you know, it, taken into account the fact that there are some people that, that, that just don't buy books at all, that that, yeah. there, that there is a big chunk of the audience that would not buy a book, they would just pirate it, all, the, all of these different things. If I'd taken those into account, I would have been less, I would, I would have been more pessimistic about the results of the poll. Okay, got it. Did you check the levels, by the way? Are we good? I no, I assumed you would. <laughs> Wait, say some stuff. Hello, testing, testing. Yeah, something about levels, something about books, something about okay. audiobooks. Okay, so if you knew before, okay, let, let's just say like, you know, you asked the genie beforehand, will my book be a bestseller? Genie was like, yeah, yeah, I got you fam, mm. you know? And then you and then you did a poll and like the, te- you know, 10% of people said that they'll, they'll definitely buy your book. Yeah. In that case, you, you're pretty sure you'd be fine with that. Yes. Okay, so then it really does come down to like the book being or not being a bestseller. Because like, do, do, okay, do it's, for example, you've mentioned two things, right? You've mentioned this general sense of feeling like, yeah, of, co- of course, all my audience are going to buy my book. And the 10% number doesn't really, you know, it, it's not quite that much. You know, yeah. It, it, it doesn't hit the bar of like, of course, all my audience are going to buy my book. Okay. I think what's connecting the two is I, so as I was writing, as I'm continuing to write the proposal where, and, and the idea behind a book proposal is that you're basically trying to sell to a publisher saying that, look, guys, my book is going to sell like a hot banana Hmm. and therefore you should sign on to publish this book in your country. And while I was doing that, I was sort of really doing my best to (laughs) kind of inflate the numbers as much as possible to business, which I, as in, by which I mean, I don't really often think about numbers in terms of my channel's reach or in terms of this podcast and in terms of number and downloads like these analytics just aren't really something that i care about okay very much yeah whereas here i was i was thinking okay if i am presenting this to make the best case possible yeah. i need to basically like the whole vibe is that guys i've got a huge audience look check me out yeah and therefore, therefore lots of people are going to buy my book yeah yeah and so on a whim while i was in the midst of this thinking damn i think there's a lot of numbers here yeah <laughs> i put put out this poll where the results of it did not match with the mindset that I was in that, you know, oh, I see. <laughs> this book is going to sell like a hot banana, you yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was in that mindset when Got I put it. the poll out. And then so when the poll was a little bit more realistic, mm. I was like, oh, hang on, maybe I am just sort of guessing, okay. which I am I'm to an extent because that's what you have to be when you're a salesman trying to sell your book. Be like, yeah. like <laughs> let's try and be as, as, as optimistic as possible yeah, about course, this. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah. And so I think that was where the initial feeling of disappointment came from. Um, but then speaking to my editor and a few people who've written books and stuff afterwards, they were like, yeah, if this is actually re- representative, then this is very, very good. Okay. And you have to re- you have to remember that of the 1.2 million people who subscribe to your channel, like 
very few of them are actually going to be reading books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And fewer still are actually going to be buying books mm. because, you know, reading is one of the commonest issues that basically everyone in the world has. Right. Uh, and so don't worry about it. I was like, yeah, cool. But it, it was it was really this sort of sincere versus serious framing that <laughs> got me out of my little uh, pool of disappointment initially. How do you think you ended up in the sort of serious framing? Because it seems like... It seems like you're sort of, when it comes to the YouTube channel and stuff in general, you're not like super serious about it, right? No, I'm not super serious about the YouTube channel. I Actually, can... here's, a, here's a question. Yeah. Are you, is it, do you think it could be possible that you can, you can sort of tell your, for example, you, you probably, you probably would have felt before the poll and before you felt disappointed, you probably would have felt like, oh yeah, I'm, I treat everything as a game. I'm not that serious about the book. It's just another game. You probably would have felt that way. Um, right? Is that is that fair to say? Like I, until that moment, you didn't know that. Oh shit! I'm actually like serious about the book. Yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It it didn't cross my mind. If okay. You, if you'd asked me last week, you know, are you treating the book like a game? I would have, I would have said, yeah, I guess so. But the, but but that even just admitting that would have made me treat it more like a game. Okay, got it. So what I'm saying is like, um, you know, I think when it comes to like the YouTube channel, you you certainly project the image that you're treating it like a game. Hmm. But also you haven't really had to seriously answer the question because things have broadly gone pretty well. Yeah. Like growth has been good. Things are going well. And so you, you haven't actually had, had to like face, the, you know, hear the music, face the music or whatever. Uh, and for example, you know, like in, in theory, if you, I don't know, if you post some video, okay, okay, that, I was going to say if you get canceled, but there are reasons to feel bad about that outside of the numbers. Mm. But for for example, if things stopped going well, yeah. growth stops and stuff like that, mm. I think then you'd be in a position to really honestly answer, am I treating this like yeah, a game? Yeah, exactly. Anyone can be a stoic when things are good. Right, yeah, precisely, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So account, like, accounting for that, do you think like you're actually treating it like a game or do, do you think... Okay. Do you think maybe you're deceiving yourself or there's, there's actually no way to know until like things are going badly? That's the only way you can really know. So I think the more I treat, I think my, the, the extent to which I treat stuff like a game depends on how much I remind myself that I'm treating it like a game. Okay. So there is an element of self-deception, but self-deception is exactly the name of the game here. Okay. In that, for example, like in the past, maybe six months to a year ago, when I would have had a video that does badly... I would have actually felt like, oh my god, this video. Oh my, oh, you know what is life? Yeah. Now I just I don't feel that anymore because I've become attuned to the feeling okay. of videos doing badly. Okay. And at the start, it used to have to be a sort of you know the Tim Ferriss and Gary Vaynerchuk and the Stoics and Marcus Aurelius and Seneca would be shouting in my mind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but now having <laughs> having heard that symphony enough times, yeah, I now no longer need okay. Tim Ferriss's voice to tell me no, it's okay, don't worry about the numbers. Got it. Yeah. And I just kind of act that way by default yeah whereas i think with the book because it's like a new project and because it's all very fresh yeah any level of setback feels like feels bigger than it actually is got it yeah, yeah. um and kind of what we might have talked about last week is that if for example the book comes out and gets like negative reviews which it will yeah. then those are going to make me feel a lot worse than negative comments on youtube videos yeah because i've just become so attuned to negative comments right, on right. youtube videos and on this podcast <laughs> over time but presumably the first few negative comments on youtube was like was that painful um, it's hard to remember thinking back. I don't think it was to an extent. I think the first few comments on YouTube that were painful were the ones where they actually hit close to home. Okay. Um, and usually kind of troll comments on YouTube, you can just dismiss as a troll. Yeah, for sure. Whereas 
if someone sort of has bought your book <laughs> and then takes the time to write a detailed Amazon review about how yeah, you're yeah. actually a fake guru and you don't have any original ideas and yeah. everything you've taken <laughs> is just from other sources and you're just packaging it up and applying your own spin to it. And is that your fear here? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And the whole, you know, who does this guy think he is? He's a 26-year-old who sort of, he, he dropped out of medical. He, 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 he dropped out of medicine to be a, an internet guru. Right. Why, why the hell is he writing a book? Right. Uh, those are sort of... <laughs> okay. Yeah. That, that's, that would hurt. <laughs> that, yeah, that would hurt. Exactly. <laughs> okay. um, whereas if someone tells me I'm fat, I'm like, okay. <laughs> it just bounces off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, so why, why would that hurt out of interest? Because I think anything that has that level of truth to it does hurt. Do you feel like you're a fake guru? Yeah. Okay. Do you feel like you have original ideas? No. <laughs> but then it's like being fat. If you know you're fat and someone calls you fat, uh, okay, maybe that's maybe that's not the same thing. Yeah. Like if, you, if, if, for example, you wholeheartedly, you know, put your hands up and you say, right, lads, here's the deal. <laughs> I'm a fake guru. I don't have original ideas. I'm, a, I'm pretty good at like packaging up other ideas in like a good way and explaining things clearly. That's my shtick. Then why why does it hurt? Like, is it that you aspire to have original ideas and kind of be more than that? Like, do do you want to be like more than a fake guru? I would like to be more than a fake guru. Yes, but you do. But you think currently you are in the fake guru category. Um, I, it it depends how we define fake guru. <laughs> I mean, how, how how will you define it? Because it it seems like if someone if someone if someone says that in a comment, that would hurt you. Uh, if someone said specifically that in a comment, it, it, I wouldn't I wouldn't care. But if they okay. But like my insecurities about this book okay. are very much around this imposter syndrome thing of like, got it. Uh, who, who am I to write a book about this? I say, okay. uh, other people who have written about books about productivity or about anything have been researchers in the field or something like that. And yeah. Therefore, that makes them more legit. Got it. Yeah. And as I'm writing the book, I'm also thinking, okay, how do I make this different and better to other productivity books that are that are out there? Um, I try not to think about it in terms of better, just in terms of different. Yeah. And a whole big part of kind of trying to sell the book and the marketing is in basically saying that, look, all other books are like X, whereas my book is like Y, and therefore yeah. this is going to sell, and therefore this is new and interesting and fresh and exciting. Okay. And I think this is partly why I don't like to think too much about numbers, and I don't like, like, I just don't enjoy sort of sales and marketing and stuff because it's too, it feels too much like I'm trying to sell myself and my ideas, and I know that none of my ideas are original. And so when it came to things like the Part-Time YouTuber Academy... I was very upfront about this. I was like, look, there's nothing original here. You can actually get all this information for free online. Yeah. It's just that I'm packaging it up for you and I'm giving you accountability and, you know, that's worth paying money for. Yeah, yeah. Like all, you know, if if teachers were only allowed to teach original things, then yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> schools and universities wouldn't exist. So th so I, was, I, I became okay with that side of things. But I think when it comes to a book that you're traditionally publishing and have the audacity to sell in like a bookshop to random people that don't already know you, mm. at that point... It feels the the implicit assumption I feel for someone buying a book is that this is going to have new ideas. Okay. And so I want this book to have new ideas and I want it to be a fresh perspective. And so if someone points out that actually this so-called fresh perspective that you were hoping for is actually just a complete myth and you've actually just taken ideas from other people and not even packaged them up very well, that would be my, my, my biggest fear with this book. I see. Okay, that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, sincere versus serious. But I swear the new idea thing has been thoroughly debunked as well. Like I swear it's... You know, this this fear of not being original is like a classic thing people have about like why they don't want to write blog posts or make a YouTube channel. It's like, oh, I don't have anything original to say. And like there's lots of famous instances of like, you know, Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari or whatever his name is. Uh, <laughs> That's exactly the line that I use anytime I reference his name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari or whatever his name is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, side note, he's actually a great guy. He, did a, he was on Tim Ferriss' podcast um, about a month ago or something. Awesome episode. 
great guy. Um, yeah, I think he's like pretty upfront about the fact that there's there's absolutely nothing original in his book. Uh, he's just like synthesized a bunch of stuff that's already been sort of figured out and kind of packaged it in a nice way and everyone seems to love it. Um, like, yeah, it, it seems like you'd preach to other people about, look, don't care about the originality thing. There's no new ideas. It's just about, yes. you know, reframing existing stuff. Is that not the case? Like, why why isn't there a uh, a symphony, as you've de- described it, of uh, <laughs> fake and or real gurus <laughs> in your head telling you not to care about originality? That's a good point. Um, I no, think no offense, Tim Naval, Gary, <laughs> <laughs> you're, the, you're the real gurus. <laughs> I think there isn't because this is still new for me, and therefore it's not like a default thing. Okay, but it it really should be like. It's it's unacceptable that I have this fear. <laughs> I think it, I, Man. I think it's I think it's around the idea of information diet. Like when it comes to blog posts or podcasts or YouTube channels, I listen to enough people who who talk about the like the original ideas thing being being a complete myth. That don't worry if you don't have original ideas because nothing is original under the sun. Whereas when it comes to the book writing sphere, I have not heard many people say that you, at all. You must have heard this about the Sapiens book. There were, I mean, there was a whole freaking like. New Yorker uh, profile about the guy, basically oh, no, I hadn't. parading is... the fact that there's nothing original in the Sapiens book. Oh, yeah, no, no, this is the first time I've, oh, I've okay, heard this. Right, yeah. Um, the the only other time that this specifically was mentioned was with my writing coach, who said, "Look, we're all selling the same sunlight, mm-hmm. and it, all all that matters is just that we all have different lenses of focusing that sunlight." Right. I was like, "Oh, nice." <laughs> um, but I think it's one of those things where you have to hear an idea seven times on average for it to become ingrained and. This has not yet become ingrained. And so my default thinking on this, hmm. where I don't question my my kind of viewpoints, yeah. is based around the fact that, oh, if, if I'm right, if, if one is writing a book, that book, this book must be original. Okay. Rather than applying the same theory of blog posts and YouTube channels and podcasts and everything else to it of like, there is nothing original. It's just a different lens of looking at it, which may or may not help you. I see. So that's useful. That's good to know. Thank you. That makes me feel better. <laughs> I'm happy to help. I'm, I'm here anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Uh, okay, that's pretty interesting. Uh, it's kind of funny, right? Because, <laughs> because like, it's... Okay, here's what's funny. <laughs> Here we go. This is going to be hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is that I think there is no... Okay, for example, if, you know, if there is anyone who is deliberate, you know, if there's anyone who's deliberated about this concept of, like, don't care about originality to a decent amount, it's someone like you, you know? Like... There are probably not that many people who have deliberated over this idea much more than you have. Mm. Okay, but it it seems like no amount of deliberation <laughs> can actually change <laughs> how you truly feel. And like it, it'll just take a, a few like practical hits of like <laughs> someone punching you in the face and saying you're unoriginal. <laughs> Maybe if, if it'll, it'll just take a few times before you actually internalize that thing, right? Like it it, it seems like th- this is um this I, th- I think this is linked to. Uh, it's linked to this has sort of come up in Aspiration by Agnes Callot <laughs> about like when we, you know, when we're trying to change our values, you know, for example, there's there is a new value you want of like not wanting, not caring about the originality thing or whatever, right? Um, to an extent, like there is no amount of deliberation that's going to like immediately sort of change the value for you. You have to like, uh, you have to aspire towards the value by like, you know, uh, having some, you know, practical experience where you know the first bunch of times you will feel bad and then you think no i don't want to feel bad i want to feel this way and you kind of uh 
actively try and move towards the value, right? Quite. So like there, there's no amount of deliberation that will actually change this. You just have to sort of hear the music a bunch of times. I think and, so. And, and yeah. the, I think the, the funny thing is, <laughs> is that I think, I think that is true for like a lot of the kind of um, productivity mindset type stuff that you talk about. Hmm. Like there, there is no number of YouTube videos that you can watch to like, um, you know, change your mindset about something. And it, it kind of comes back to like the thing that we've often said about like going to the gym where there's, you know, there's no amount of deliberation that's going to then like instantly click in your brain and you'll suddenly like be motivated to go to the gym. It, it comes from like aspiring towards that and taking action and sort of co course correcting each time you take action. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, very much so. Um, I think... Oh, yeah. sorry. The fun, sorry. The funny yes. part is, is that you have YouTube videos um, where you deliberate about these things. And I think probably people people watching the YouTube videos are also then deliberating about these things. Yeah. But really, <laughs> that, that's really, not going to help. We're all just struggling. <laughs> right, yeah. We're all just on that same journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think with all, with, with all of these things, it's one thing knowing it intellectually and it's yeah. another thing knowing it intuitively. Yeah. And... That that's why for like when I'm when when I'm advising people on how to get over the fear of like posting a video out there or yeah, something, yeah. I think there is value in doing like the baby steps approach. I.e., start off by just filming a video and sending it to a friend as okay. a WhatsApp message. Number two, start off by you know talking to your phone and posting it as an unlisted video. Right. Yeah. And then after you've done this a few times, you realize that there's only one it's only one radio button click between unlisted and published. Yeah, yeah. And then you just try it and you realize, I go, actually, no one's watching my video. Perfect. <laughs> right, <laughs> All yeah. these haters who I thought were going to come about yeah. don't exist. <laughs> At least they're not seeing my channel just yet. And then you just keep on doing that. And over time, the muscle builds. And a few years down the line, you then, someone asks you, how are you so comfortable putting yourself out yeah. there online? <laughs> and, you, and you tell them, well. <laughs> <laughs> just do it, man. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it feels like this is a... Yeah, deliberation doesn't really count for too much. You just gotta, just gotta do it. Yeah, I think, but but that's why I think conversations like this are helpful, and conversations where we explore our initial reactions to things yeah. are useful because you know it's it's hard to read the label from inside the bottle, as they say. Um, <laughs> Is that a phrase? It's a phrase. Yes, I think Pat Flynn talks about it a lot. Uh, my nice. writing coach talks about it a lot as well. Yeah, when we do exercises where I tell him my life story and stuff, and he and I say that I feel like I haven't had any adversity, and he says, "Well, you know, someone else looking at your story might think that you know the single mom, the living in Africa, the focus on education, you know, that's all, it's all adversity in 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 some people's minds." Okay. Um, where I was going with that? I was going with that in that it's it's helpful to have these discussions where we break down the thought processes yeah. of our gut reactions because otherwise there is no like if you don't have the habit of questioning your 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 moral intuitions or yeah your, yeah. yeah then there's there's just no way to improve your thinking and yeah. move towards this aspirational future where your mindset shifts to something yeah, yeah, more yeah. legitimate yeah for sure i i i'm i'm very very keen to try a therapy i think it's basically <laughs> this yeah you should do it <laughs> have you tried it yeah i guess i guess you could call it therapy yeah for sure I have a okay. <laughs> you have a there's a guy <laughs> okay we do video calls occasionally so I had like a I think I talked about this when I had I had like a one-on-one -on -one session this was quite a while ago now um Lucas my co-founder and I we had like a couples therapy session last week and Wait, I thought this was like a business coaching type thing or I mean it... what's the difference right so it's not like he's helping you achieve product market fit no no it's definitely not that he's not telling us like 
tactically, oh, you know, you should phrase your emails like this. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's not that kind of stuff. It's 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 really just like, yeah, I guess it's, I mean, I guess it's it's broadly just like therapy. It just happens to that most of his clients are people who, you know, are like founders of companies and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so I think it's helpful because he has data points about like, you know, the mindsets that other founders have and the kinds of thing, you know, the kinds of traps they fall into and, and things like that. But like, it's very much like inner game stuff that we talk about. It's not like, you know, here's what you should put on your website. You know, it's, it's, it's not that kind of stuff. Um, and so Lucas and I, we did, a, we had a couple of therapy session last week where we were, I think we kind of talk about talking about the existential crisis that we talked about on the podcast, um, where we feel like we haven't, haven't been like too serious about, about the startup and we're trying to sort of, um, you know, figure out some mindset issues, um, and make progress there. And yeah, I've got like a one-on-one, um, with him on Monday, tomorrow. Nice. Are you looking forward to it? I am looking forward to it. I think actually one of the interesting things, uh, that came up was that actually, yeah, one thing I realized is that there are, there is at least one layer deeper of introspection that I could and should be going to, which I often don't, you know, I think previously I used to think I'm fairly introspective. I think, I think I'm in touch with, you know, how I feel about things and my thought processes. And I think I'm good at like noticing stuff. Um, but I think there is actually at least one layer deeper, uh, that I'm not, that I don't really access much, if that makes sense. And, uh, I think I, I fear that I'm good at coming up with plausible sounding explanations to tell myself that I understand what's going on in my head. And maybe I should doubt those a bit more. And I'm hoping, yeah, I think like he's certainly been pushing me to, you know, sort of inception style. So like, we need to go deeper kind of thing. Okay. So what's an example of something like I, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what you mean. Uh, what was the example that came up? Uh, so I think in, in the session I had with him a few, um, a few weeks ago, the one-on-one session, I think I mentioned that, what was it? Ah, mate, I actually can't remember. Let me, let me get back to you next week after, after my one-on-one session with him tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I do remember thinking, man, there's uh, I need to go deeper basically. And I actually, I think like, I think one thing that he's done a couple of times is sort of call me out on my, on my bullshit basically. Where he'll like ask a question about like, you know, for example, like, uh, you know, what, what, what do you, what are you scared about in this particular situation or something? And then I'll come, I'll, I'll like have a thing and come up with an answer. And then he'll just, he just go like, mm, no, I don't think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, that's something that like, I don't think um, I've ever had that much in the past. I, uh, I'd say, you know, for example, having these kinds of conversations with friends and even, even with like you, for example, I don't think anyone's ever caught me out on my bullshit, <laughs> bullshit when it comes to this stuff. Like if I, if I have a thing and come up with an explanation, you'll probably, you, you'll almost always go, hmm, yeah, that sounds about right. I agree with that. Like you, you don't really <laughs> like actually call me out on that kind of stuff. Um, and I don't think many of my friends do, but he certainly has been doing that. And do you think you call out your friends on their bullshit? Yes. I think I'm, I think I'm really willing to do that. And, mm. and like, I'm, I'm obviously wrong a bunch of times, but I think I, I'm, I'm very open to doing that. I, there are definitely friends who really hate me doing that and I shouldn't do it with them. <laughs> um, but I think there are, there are some of my friends uh, appreciate it. Um, yeah, I think more people should do it. Because I think even among like trusted friends, you know, there's this, you know, I, I think part of, part of like 
being friends with someone and, and all that stuff is, you know, helping help, helping them flourish and mm. through you know, conversations like, you know, in, introspecting together is, is helpful for that. But I think, I think there's often a fear of like not wanting to push too hard, which is maybe a warranted fear. Like I, certainly I've been guilty of pushing too hard with some of my friends and they genuinely do, like, don't like it. And that's bad. Um, but yeah, I think partly there's, you know, you might not want to do that because you don't want to push too hard. And partly I think people can actually just come up with plausible sounding explanations when they're actually bullshitting themselves. Do you think having a level of domain expertise helps you call people out on their bullshit? For like, and for like, like for example, for me, if I ask someone why they're scared of putting themselves out there, oh yeah, I can always call them out. <laughs> yeah, when yeah. I when I know they're BSing it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whereas if it's you talking about your, I don't know, your startup or something, and like, yeah, right, yeah, sounds alright. Yeah, <laughs> sounds, sounds about sounds, right. Sounds plausible. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think that that definitely helps. One thing I'm 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 curious about: have any particular questions that this therapist guy asked you struck you as wow, that's actually a good question that you can share as like a or, or mm. things that you think huh i kind of wish i'd been asking myself this question a bit more let me think while you're having a think i'll share i'll share a few such questions that my business coach guy says one thing he always says is what have you learned this week <laughs> and he also says also always says what have you learned about yourself this week Ooh. and that i was like god damn that's actually a good question right <laughs> let me think about this now yeah and if i were doing like a weekly review by myself that would be a question i'd want to ask myself do you think you, you bullshit yourself in these answers? Like you could you could probably like it's definitely possible to like every week come up with some, you know, come up with something that you can tell yourself you've learned about yourself. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I'm I'm never called out on via you know, of of him saying like, hmm, no, I don't think that's the thing you've done. <laughs> right. Okay. So that's not happened. It's usually right. a case of me being like, well, I feel like I haven't learned anything this week, but okay, I have to come up with something. Um, so let me have a look. Oh, yeah, I guess kind of serious versus sincere was something I've learned. Okay. About my, yeah. Something okay. Like right. that. Yeah. 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 Man, does he have any particular prompts? I think one thing he one one thing he asks uh, often is like, uh, if you're trying to unpack a particular feeling, he'll sort of tell me to like just sit and like feel the feeling, you know, like bring it back up and like mm. you know bring yourself to feel that way right now by like force of will or like thinking about something, and then like try and like grab hold of what's actually going on. Whereas often. Yeah, often if you're like trying to unpack a feeling that let, let's say like three days ago you felt a certain way, um, it's I think it's it's more difficult and it's easier to like come up with some come up with some bullshit just to have an answer. Whereas if you like bring yourself to then feel it in the moment, then um, hopefully you'll have a more accurate view of what's actually going on. So he often asks that. I'll I'll try and notice more in um in the next session. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder if so. I I wonder if it it might be helpful for like on set on on other episodes where like for example I I also have this productivity slash performance coach who's written a book basically filled with questions like introspective questions to ask yourself about stuff mm. um, and just like going through these questions and asking them, asking them to one another might actually be quite interesting yeah 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 realistically I'm I'm not I'm never going to make the time to sit down and actually <laughs> go through them myself. Uh, doesn't but, it, doesn't your coach like make you do that? <laughs> uh, very like there's like a hundred questions in this book. We kind of go more targeted about specific things. Okay, fair. And then maybe some of them come up, but there is a lot more introspection to be had, especially when it comes to things like planning for the long term and figuring out what you actually find meaningful in life and what your values are and what mm -hmm. your like 
dream five-year vision is and all these things that I just, you know, is very, very useful to go through. But yeah. like, unless you have someone doing it with you, there's basically no, no way you're actually going to do it yourself. Mm. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, let's try that for an episode or two if, we're, if we don't have a topic. So what are you, what are you going to do about like the, the feeling disappointed thing? Like, do you think, do you, do you think you'll probably like feel, feel a bit disappointed if you get some fake guru comments and you'll just have to like sit with it and get through it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I probably will feel that slight, the, the, that initial system one feeling of disappointment. Mm. Like, I still feel the system one feeling of disappointment when I get a YouTube video that doesn't perform well. Oh, okay. Um, oh, in fact, there was one that was supposed to come out today, which I haven't uploaded, but I'll, I'll sort that out. Um, and like the one that's coming out today is like a Tesla video. And so I want, I sort of in my head, I have like this hope such expectation that it will do well. And if this video completely tanks, then I'll think, oh, God. Yeah, you bought a car for nothing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. But then it will be the system two thinking that kind of takes over. I think it's it's kind of like what um, what like the Stoics say, which is that you can't really stop yourself from feeling that initial flash of anger, for example, if something bad happens or a flash of sadness. But it's when you continue to tell yourself a story about it that you continue to feel the thing. Yeah. And so I have no issues at all with feeling the initial flash. Yeah. But it's if I keep on wallowing in it that yep. I know that I'm just being an idiot. Yeah. Let me um let me get some Kindle highlights from my from aspiration the bit i was reading last night was exactly about this she um she basically talks about two kinds of conflict internal conflict and external conflict and she says that internal conflict um can't be rationally resolved in this in the straightforward way that we think about rationality it can only only be resolved by a process of aspiration uh all right mate i can't find the long passage i'll just read out a very short one All right, this is, has been a big letdown. The only relevant passage I can find is... Uh, <laughs> she's basically ch- trying to define this concept of intrinsic uh, conflict. Uh, she says, An intrinsically conflicted agent experiences a desire or feeling or belief that her values bring her to see as inappropriate. So if you are, if you are intrinsically conflicted about something you like feel a certain way or you want something or you believe a certain thing. And then on a meta level, you're unhappy about it. You're like, you like, do you feel like I shouldn't have felt that thing. Um, and that's kind of what's going on here where your sort of feeling was, uh, was that uh, you, you felt disappointed and then you felt it was inappropriate to be disappointed because you don't actually want to be, you know, sort of care about this particular thing. Yes. <laughs> And yeah. so I, I aspire to not being disappointed by this sort of thing, or yeah, I aspire yeah. to not care about this sort of thing. And yeah, I guess it's just practice over time. Yeah. And another thing that she mentions in the book is that really, all right, now there's definitely a quote for this. Let me get this one up. <laughs> so I think that there is like all, there's the like stoicism angle uh, of like, you know, you shouldn't have feelings. <laughs> basically, It's not the stoicism <laughs> angle, but uh, do you want to correct me? Stoicism is not about not having feelings. It's about choosing the feelings that you want to have. Uh, okay, sure, yeah. Mm, give me a moment. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so she says, like, if you valuing something includes both cognitive and conative elements. I think conative means, like, uh, affective, like, relating to feelings. Uh, Scheffler, who's some other bloke, I think, explains why it is a mistake to think that we value everything we believe valuable, right? Like, (laughs) Sheffler thinks we don't actually value everything that we think is valuable because our capacity 
to believe that things are valuable far outstrips our capacity for personally investing ourselves in those objects we can truly be said to value. Mm, so like there's, there's like an infinite number of things we can like claim that, oh yeah, I think that's good. I think that's valuable. Like th- there's an endless list of things that we yeah. would find uh, think are valuable, but we don't have an endless amount of like <laughs> care, <laughs> uh, right? She says, in order to value something, we must engage with it in a way that takes time, effort and practice. Given our finite lifespans and limited resources, we cannot devote ourselves to valuing all the things we see as valuable. Um, Wallace, who's another chap drawing on Scheffler, has emphasized the ways in which uh, such devotion manifests itself in affective connections between the subject and the valued object. He describes a valuer as uh, subject to a range of characteristic emotional reactions, depending on how things are going with the object of concern. So like, you know, it seems like you're, you're wanting to be more like, um, you know, playful about this thing. Uh, th- this seems like it does fit the definition of actually valuing it because like you had an affective reaction um, about the thing. Like if, if, if you just thought it was valuable, oh yeah, it, it's valuable to have like the playful mindset or whatever, then you wouldn't necessarily have genuinely had an emotional reaction to the thing. Yeah. It's something I, yeah. I value and not so, just something that is valuable. For yeah. Me. yeah. And, and I think this question of like, what are people's values? Um, it's something I've, I've found it hard to sort of put my finger on and even like figure out what are my values? Because I think often you, you, you know, if you ask, if you try and think about what are my values, what are someone else's values, your mind kind of goes to, okay, what are the things that I think are valuable? I think it's good to, I think it's good not to lie. I think it's good to be kind. You know, mm. you, you have like this laundry list of infinite things which you think are valuable. Um, but really the litmus test is like, what actually provokes an emotional response within you? And if you think about the things that genuinely provoke an emotional response, uh, those by uh, this definition um, from a few people have thought about this, those are the things that you actually value. There's an infinite number of things you think are valuable. Yeah, I think this this relates a lot to, I, f- I feel like we've, we've, we've possibly discussed this before. I, th- I think we, we were discussing this on the Lucia episode about effective altruism. Mm. Uh, and my new friend Neil is also going to be on featuring on the podcast at some point to talk about exactly this. So we need to schedule a time with him. Yeah. But I think when it comes to things like charity and yeah. like, we like basically 100% of people listening to this feel that, you know, the environment is valuable and protecting children is valuable and saving the dogs and saving the birds and saving the pandas is all valuable. Yeah. But it's just whether you personally feel emotionally feel yeah. something towards that particular cause. Right. And it's very easy, I think, to if you are someone who feels strongly about the environment to look down upon people who don't feel in the same way about the environment and not appreciate necessarily that. Well, they think it's valuable. They just don't, don't yeah. personally value it. <laughs> and I think that that was exactly what was going on between me and Lucia, where like we were in agreement. Like I, I was telling her, we're, we're trying to understand like, like I've I've agreed with her about all her points about like <laughs> why veganism is good and stuff like that. Um, and so in that sense, I definitely agree that it's valuable, but it's clearly not one of my values because <laughs> I didn't actually like mm-hmm. feel anything towards it. So one of the interesting exercises that we can do at some point, which I think the 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 the, 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 the listeners might find <laughs> valuable as well, is when it comes to figuring out your values, one way of approaching it is actually to find a list of like 250 different values and then just go through the list and think, yeah, that resonates with me. That resonates with me. And then yeah, but I, crucially, I, okay. you're only allowed to pick three from the list <laughs> at, oh, the, in, at, at the end. So you've yeah. whittled it down. Like if I had to choose yeah. my top values, the ones that emotionally resonate with me, like obviously truth and justice and fairness and loyalty and all, all of these different things with, <laughs> yeah, I think they're valuable. But the ones that would actually resonate with me are like, you know, 
for me one of the ones on that list is always freedom slash autonomy as like one of the main ones um and yeah i I can't remember what, what else is on the list but i found that that elimination process to be very very valuable nice do you value it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not yet. Great stuff. Good yeah. stuff. All right, should we call it a day? Oh, there was actually, there was one other thing I wanted to bring up. Certainly. This is a funny thing. All right, so there's this like, uh, this is one of my favorite recent memes. It's fairly niche. Uh, and do explain. Okay. Uh, okay, I think it's uh, referred to as the IQ bell curve. Uh, mid- midwit. All right, midwit slash IQ bell curve meme. Uh, a, a midwit, I think, is like a, someone who's. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna use terms like stupid and smart, <laughs> okay, just to simplify things here. All right, just allow me. <laughs> okay, and for context, like obviously those terms, stupid and smart, are problematic, etc., etc., etc. But yeah, yeah. All that good stuff. <laughs> all, all of that stuff aside, yeah. <laughs> continue. A midwit is someone who is not stupid and but but not smart. They're somewhere in between. They're like okay. at the. All right, so you can imagine. <laughs> You can imagine a picture of a, a bell curve of like IQ, okay? Yeah. Uh, this sort of distribution, the, the sort of population IQ distribution, all right? <laughs> this is so bad. <laughs> On the left-hand side of it, you have like really low IQs. So like IQ is sort of defined in a way that an IQ of 100 is like the average, basically. And so on the left-hand side of this bell curve, you have IQs from like, you know, basically less than 100 to like 50 to 100 or something. And, and there's like a, a sort of shitty hand-drawn picture of a guy who they're trying to <laughs> they've tried to physically represent a guy who's stupid <laughs> i'm not going to describe it it's it's unacceptable <laughs> and then uh, on in the middle of the bell curve you have uh you know iq 100 and uh corresponding to the iq 100 point you have a guy who is you know the kind of normal looking guy who's obviously getting worked up about something like the guy wears glasses I think that's meant to portray that, like, he's, he's like, smart in inverted commas, like, uh, or maybe he thinks he's smart or something, and, like, he's getting worked up about something. There's tears down his eyes, his teeth are sort of bared, like, he's, he's clearly upset about something. And then on the far side, at, at like, IQ 140 uh, to 150, you have, like, a sort of stoic guy in a uh in like a jedi hood like this guy is like <laughs> you know alakazam <laughs> all right to use a pokemon analogy <laughs> the 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 guy at the bottom end would be like a psyduck <laughs> the guy in the middle would be what's like a middling intelligence uh, yeah, pokemon um like psyduck or slowpoke would be the one at the bottom yeah in the middle you you just have like a bog standard pokemon yeah that maybe takes itself a bit too seriously like an ivysaur or something <laughs> Oh, mate, yeah, hell, hell yeah, Ivysaur. Is like, I've always felt like Ivysaur takes itself too seriously. Ivysaur is in the middle, and then Alakazam is at the top. Sure. <laughs> All, right. All right, so now I've explained the picture. <laughs> and the theme is to, like, find things where the person, the, the, uh, the really stupid person and the really smart person both have the same opinion about this thing, and then the guy in the middle is, like, getting worked up and the stupid person for having, like, the wrong opinion about it, okay? Okay. And this... Uh, all right, you understand the concept? I understand the concept, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's just so funny. <laughs> and there was an example that came up in conversation with a friend yesterday where... And this is actually something I've thought about. I, actually, I think this has come up on the podcast where I think there's a general sense of, like... Um, for example, if someone is like really into flashy cars so they can like show off or like, you know, Gucci belt designer watches so they can like show off to other people and flex, you'd consider that like a, 
a low IQ thing, right? <laughs> you consider that to be a, a fairly low IQ kind of move, all right? And that would be like on the, on the, on the stupid end of the bell curve. And then there's a bunch of people, uh, you, you and I included, <laughs> who'd be in the middle. You'd think, oh my God, that's so low IQ, man. Like, I don't care about social status. I don't do things to like flex or whatever. <laughs> and then you'd have the smart guy, the Alakazam, the guy on the far right, who'd maybe accept that, look, fundamentally, we all, <laughs> we all care about flexing and social status. I do it with my Apple Watch and minimalist aesthetic. <laughs> and so like the, the, the really smart guy and the really dumb guy will both be pretty like open about yeah, I flexed to like increase my social status. And then the guy in the middle would be like, no, I don't care about social status. You know, I don't care about flexing. You're so stupid for wearing a Gucci belt. Um, and this kind of came up recently because a friend of mine basically uh, admitted yesterday that uh, he likes working out in public because he, he likes being observed while he's working out. You know, he gets a kick out of like being seen to be uh, you know, the kind of person that works out and is healthy and fit and stuff. So like when's Mike uh, coming back on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And so I was kind of thinking that like, you know, th this friend is, you know, isn't the kind of person who wear Gucci belts and stuff like that. And, and we, we have another friend of ours. I think you, you'll know who I'm talking about, who is very open about the fact that he's really into this stuff, like flashing his, his wealth. And like, he recently bought like a fancy car to like drive around London to like flex on people in Kensington and stuff like this. He does that as a hobby because he likes attention and he's very open about that. And so like, I think like, yeah, that kind of fit the meme basically. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I think historically you and I've both probably been guilty of like being the, being the midwit, the guy in the middle who's, you know, not, not stupid and not smart. Who's like, no man, I don't care about social status. You guys are all really stupid for caring about Gucci belts. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's similar to uh, feelings. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whereby the uh, sort of low person on the on the bell curve yeah. will be feeling lots of things very intensely. The person in the middle will be sort of like a classic sort of... Uh, stoic bro. Yeah, sto <laughs> stoic bro, exactly, thinking about how feelings are bad. And the person at the other end would be the billionaire who's hired a therapist to teach him how to feel things better and, and realize <laughs> actually feeling is okay. Yeah. <laughs> or... Another one that comes to mind, uh, <gasps> I, I, I think about two years ago, I, I told you that, that, that this idea for a meme whereby the low IQ person would be nine to five job mortgage, wife and kids. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> the midwit would be the dream entrepreneur, passive income. Four hour work week, four bro. Hour week yeah. bro. And the guy, the Alakazam at the end would also, having done that, yeah. would be 95 life, yeah, the, mortgage, wife and kids. trad, like wife, kids, mortgage. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Laying down some roots, <laughs> commitments. Yeah. <laughs> It's such a good meme, mate. It's like my favorite meme these days. I think like, yeah, I think you and I are just like midwits, man. <laughs> that should be the name of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Better than not overthinking. <laughs> oh my God. Love it. So good. Well, I'm glad we got that out of the system. That yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to like find, um, yeah, I'm trying to like notice uh, examples of midwittery okay. in my life and my own thinking. So straight after this, I'm going to create that four hour work week meme and you better retweet it. Oh, yeah. Oh, mate. I think it might... Look, this meme is problematic. <laughs> I think you might get cancelled. Now nah, you should do it. Um, it's just a prank, bro. All right. We'll read out a review. One interesting thing on the review front. So I played badminton with uh, a friend, um, a new friend of mine the other day, oh. who listens to the podcast. Oh, yeah. Who are they? Uh, huh? Who are they? Oh, it's a chap called Adam who lives in Cambridge who reached out. He's actually he's a professional drone pilot. He filmed some shots of the Tesla. Oh, cool. I, I mentioned on the podcast once that I'd love to get drone shots. And he emailed saying, hey, 
I've done drone shots for films oh, like no. Fast and Furious. Whoa. <laughs> do you, do you want some drone shots of the Tesla? Yeah. Hell yes. <laughs> now he and I are mates and we play badminton. Uh, well, we started playing badminton on the reg as of like yesterday. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but he listens to every episode of the podcast and he was saying that he was very baffled by the episode where I felt that I was less likable than you on the podcast. <laughs> he was baffled by that. As in, because he, he, he said that, that that thought just never ever crossed his mind. And, and uh, what he said was that he suspects most of the audience probably don't feel that way. Uh, and it's just like a... Okay. Yeah, spot, spot, uh, spotlight effect kind of thing. So that made nice. me feel better. Don't say anything. <laughs> just sh- 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 shut up and read the review. <laughs> I'll change which review I read. Please, <laughs> what you just said. Please. I've had enough disappointment <laughs> in my week. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, okay. All right. This is a five star review. A rare five star review these days. Thanks. Man, we've had lots of uh, non five star reviews. Um, this was entitled "The Crisis." I think it was probably about the, the previous episode. Um, when Taymor asked, has there been mediocre books that have become bestsellers? My mind immediately went to Ali using Twilight as a ruler when drawing a chart on one of his videos. All right. Did you do that once? Okay. There was a lot of content on this episode, and I agree with Ali that w- one read out loud post is probably as much as I can personally handle in one go. Some of the messages got lost in trying to work through the wordplay in these posts. Shame because they genuinely sounded like great insights and things to think through. Uh, also, Tamor should consider doing some audiobook work, possibly children's book, <laughs> books, characters. <laughs> Hope you're feeling less in crisis. It's a very nice review. Thank you to SL Cricket Lover from Australia. Um, children's books. Hmm. Yeah, maybe that's a thought. I think so. Um, yeah, I guess that's the end of the episode. Thank you for listening. We're actually we're filming this episode. So one thing uh, which we are committing to doing is that we're now going to stop uh, filming the podcasts and uploading them to YouTube and clips and stuff like that. Um, I think that'll help uh, disseminate the midwitchery that we talk about every week. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so stay tuned for those. Those will be out soon. Uh, thank you for listening and see you next week. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Apple Podcasts website if you're not using an iPhone. There's a link in the show notes. If you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for new podcast topics, we'd love to get an audio message from you with your conundrum, question, or just anything that we could discuss. Yeah, if you're up for having your voice played on the podcast and your question being the springboard for our discussion, email us an audio file mp3 or voice note to hi at notoverthinking.com. If you've got thoughts but you'd rather not have your voice played publicly, that's fine as well. Tweet or DM us at N Overthinking on Twitter, please. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.